the sound of the men working on the chain Gang That's the sound of the men working on the chain Gang All day long they're saying Working on a chain gang. Welcome, City Church. We're in part two of our series on the book of Philippians. Uh, welcome to the chain gang. Hey, man. Good morning, everyone. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us today. We are so honored that you are here today. If you're new here to City Church, we do this every week. <laughs> uh, we like to mix it up here. This is my, this is Roman soldier Josh. Everyone say hi, Roman soldier. This is Roman soldier Josh today, and uh, you know we're we're in this a journey through the book of Philippians, and I I've thought a lot about this over the weeks and about this series and the theme of joy, and chains in the Bible are fascinating because chains represent different things. Sometimes chains were decorative, you know, like uh, you know men sometimes will wear chains, nice chain. Women will wear nice chains with a pendant on, or maybe a little cross or some kind of jewelry or something like that, or. Or many times, uh, uh, chains will be worn by rappers or famous people. You know, they just distinguish, right? And, but other times, chains represent a position, especially in biblical times. In biblical times, the priest would have a chain around his neck that would carry the the, the ephod and the and the and the the, the 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 breastplate that carried that that the stones on it that represented the law of God. But chains also. Uh, were representative of what God would do through his people. They, they, were, they were distinctive, and the, and the chains would generally represent people who were held in captivity, people who were held in bondage. And we associate chains in the same way. It's a spiritual metaphor. We sang about it today. That we talk about the chains of bondage being broken. Today we're going to look at this life of joy. We're going to continue in our series, this life of joy, and Roman soldier Josh here is going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. So I want you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. All right, just got to underline that, advance the gospel. Okay, keep reading. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains I'm in Christ. what? I'm in what? I'm in chains, okay. And because of my chains. Whoa, 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 because of my what? Because of my what? Because of my chains. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Amen. This morning I'm going to talk to you on this idea, chain for Christ. Chains for Christ. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, thank you today for the work of your Holy Spirit that we've already sensed in a powerful way through our time of worship. Lord, and then through the opportunity to give generously, to be a blessing to this ministry, Lord, this ministry that we're partnering with. Our own daughter, spiritual daughter, Aura, God, has answered the call, and she said yes to you. And God, we are so honored today that we can come alongside. And I bless those who gave today. God, those who are still being stirred, Lord, to give, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to see the need here, God, to, that's in our community right here, right now. We can make a difference. Lord, I pray for every person here, the sound of my voice, who hears your word. 
I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be captivated by who you are. Jesus, that it wouldn't be my words, that it would become your words in the hearts and the ears of those who hear. We need you, Lord, today. I need you one more time, God. I need your grace this third service. Thank you for every person that's here today. God, I pray your blessing upon them. We ask this now in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The theme joy over and over and over again is mentioned in the book of Philippians 27 times. The word Christ is used 16 times, but joy is the predominant theme. Now, now we came out, we kind of, we got a little prison here, and last week I was locked up in the prison, right, right? We had a little Elvis Presley song, right? Nothing but a, whatever it is, prison guard, not a hound, not a prison dog, but a, some kind of, got captivated in prison, and Lots of songs about prison, but there's lots, lots of songs about chain. Matter of fact, I, I Googled a bunch of songs that had the word chain in it. And the fact is, is that chains are not a real popular, being bound in a chain or tied up in a chain is not a real popular idea or concept. And in Paul's day, when he was held in, in prison in a Roman cell, chained to a prison guard, one or two things that were going to happen. He wouldn't be held in prison for a long time because Romans didn't mess around. When you went to a Roman prison, you were sent there because immediately, I mean, as soon as they could, they would take you to trial. And you would either be convicted and tried and executed or you'd be set free. One or two options. Like, no, like three-year sentence, five-year sentence, 10-year sentence. It was one. You would either live or die. And that's what Paul was facing. He was in prison. He was in prison. He was chained to a Roman soldier. But rather than seeing this problem in his life as a poor me and owe me and a problem and all the challenges that he could see it through, all the potential that he's going to die and feeling full of gloom, despair, and agony on me, Paul chose to put on the joy glasses. Come on. He, put, he chose to put on the joy sunglasses. And how he did that, we see in the first couple of verses. Paul says, Paul, me Paul, a, a servant, a servant of Jesus Christ, understood that his whole life mission was about living for Jesus. He hadn't always been a follower of Jesus, as a matter of all. In fact, Paul was a very religious man, but he was a Jewish man, and he hated Jesus, and he hated the followers of Jesus. God, in his great mercy, Jesus comes to Paul, knocks him down on the road to Damascus. He's blinded, and all of a sudden, he's blinded physically, but spiritually begins to see who Jesus is for the very first time, that he is the Messiah, the one that the prophets had prophesied. And Paul's life immediately became about Jesus. Jesus changed Paul's life, and, and Paul knew if Jesus could change my life, he could change anybody's life anybody's life. And he began to, began to make Jesus the priority of his life. And because Jesus was the priority of his life, he cared about other people. Before that, it was all about Paul and his mission and rising up in position and power and all those kinds of things in his religious system. It wasn't about others. It was about Paul. But when Christ comes into his life, he now becomes about others. I want you to see that Jesus, others, to God's holy people, the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi was started by this guy, Paul. 13 years before he, he wrote this letter, he would go to th this place that was 4,000 miles away from Rome, and he'd go there to start a church. 
He'd try to find some Jewish people in that community he could share the faith with, but he couldn't find 10 Jewish men, and he's found a couple of women that were on the side of a riverbank, and he began to share the gospel, and they were transformed. And out of those few women that gave their life to Christ that day, the church would be birthed, and it would explode. It kind of reminds me of the 11 people that we started with in Altamont Springs in a movie theater that seated 500 people to today seeing three services and children's ministry full and God blessing the school and all the things that God is doing in the city. Start, something starts small, but when God breathes on it, it becomes big. <laughs> Paul's focus was on other people, God's holy people, the brothers and sisters. And because of that, because of that, then Paul's focus, Paul's focus of his life, the you of his life, Jesus, others, and you, he became a person, a man of prayer, a man who believed in other people, a man who would speak blessing over. Before, Paul was critical of other people, consenting to the death of even a believer by the name of Stephen. But Paul now would turn his focus to praying for others, speaking blessing over, their, over them, believing the best in them. Paul Paul had a change of life because he had a change of life. His life was now full of joy, the joy. This metaphor of chains is very powerful. We, we have lots of metaphors. The, many times in the scripture, the word, the Bible is, has metaphors. The Bible is referred to as, as a sword that cuts Divides between bone and, and marrow. It's referred to as a mirror that reveals the condition of our soul. The word of God is referred to as a seed, God's seed, that's sown into the hearts of people that's incorruptible, imperishable. And no matter what happens on their external, no matter what kind of chain, naturally they can find themselves in. No matter what kind of problem they can be walking through, when God's seed, God's word inside of them, something is different about them. They can have a joy. The old songwriter said, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so God would use Paul's chains to advance the gospel, to advance the cause of Christ. Paul would use, God would use Paul's life to advance the message of Christ in his generation. But how did it happen? How does it happen in our lives? The first thing you got to see today is that Paul had a different perspective about chains. He had a different perspective. Everyone say perspective. If your life, if your life is not going to live in the gloom, despair, and agony on me through life's problems and circumstances, you have to gain a different perspective. Look what he says here in verse number 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's actually served to advance the cause of Christ. We all have potential prisons in our mind. We all have problems in our life or unpleasant circumstances that we will walk through at some time. You might not be going through one right now, but just, just let me guarantee you, let me assure you, it's a coming. It's a coming. There's a train coming your way, and it's got your name on it, and it's called a problem that you can't solve, that you can't fix, that you don't have a solution for. In the 1940s, 1940s, there was a man by the name of Victor Frankel who was a very successful doctor. He was a psychiatrist and a medical doctor, 
and, and he was a very brilliant man. He, he, he lived in Germany, and, and uh, his family was Jewish. He was very religious. He was an Orthodox Jew, and, and Hitler had risen to power, and the German people were beginning to persecute Jews, begin to prosecute Jews, begin to, begin to punish Jewish people. And they would take them away from their homes, literally strip them away from their homes and throw them into camps. They'd become prison camps or known as concentration camps. Victor Franco was a very famous man in his own right, but he would find himself in a concentration camp. He'd just been married, married the year before, and his wife was stripped away from him, his family was stripped away from him. I mean, everything that he held dear in life, his title, position, all of it was gone. Possessions, everything gone, instantaneously, ripped from him. And he was treated, he was treated not even like an animal. Him and, and the other people that he was with in these concentration camps, they were treated worse than animals. As a matter of fact, most of them were executed. Over six million Jewish people were exterminated like a cockroach. And that's how the German people saw the Jewish people. They exterminated them like a cockroach. He saw the horrors of war and the hell of concentration camps. It was brutal. Absolutely brutal. He tells a story of a young man. He was trying to figure out this whole thing. He was trying to understand what was happening. He, he was a psychiatrist by, by training, and he was trying to understand like meaning and purpose behind this. And He wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Purpose. Don't you know that every one of us have that same desire inside of us? Search for meaning, search for significance, search for purpose. And as he began to analyze his world, began to look at his world through this filter of a concentration camp. One day, he was, he was literally on a chain gang, and he was going to a work camp. And, and, and on his way to the chain gang, he saw another young man that he knew that was in prison with him, and he was smoking a cigarette. So oh, lots of people smoke cigarettes, but no, no, there was something different about this. Because, see, Victor knew that if you had a cigarette, it was the only means of, of trade or exchange that you had as a prisoner. Because that cigarette to you would, would, would represent an extra piece of bread or maybe a special favor from a German guard. That cigarette represented something monetary to them, potentially, favor to them in some area or some way. And when he saw that, man smoke, that young man smoking that cigarette, he knew that young man had given up all hope of a preferred future, he was done. As a matter of fact, he would say that that young man would die in the next couple of days, hopeless, completely defeated, couldn't see any purpose. Victor would go on to say that the only way to deal with the pain, the problem, and the prisons or the chains of life is to identify a purpose in life and to begin to feel positive about it. And then immersively imagine that outcome. According to Frankel, the way a person imagined their future affected his longevity. Hmm. Fascinating. The way a person imagined their future affected their longevity. I would say today the way that you imagine your future is the way that your life will live out. Frankel looked at life and he began to discover that there was something greater I want you to read this quote that he, he, he is in his book. He says, everything can be taken from man but one thing. The last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude. In any given set of circumstances, if we pursue happiness instead of choosing joy, we'll become playthings of life's circumstances. 
Do you know today you have a choice? You have a choice to choose joy. How you see your problems, how you see the things that you're going to walk through in life, how you see the, this economic turmoil that's taking place, how you see the political environment of our generation, how you see the problems that you face in your marriage, all these things will determine the success and the effectiveness and your ability to maintain joy. The psalmist said it like this in Psalms 119, verse 71. Are you with me this morning? Come on, are you with me? Psalms 119, verse 71. The Bible says, my troubles turned out all for the best. Wow. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that your troubles have the potential to turn out for the best? They forced me to learn from your textbook. God's textbook. The textbook of life. The roadmap, the blueprint for our life. God's textbook. They, they taught me to learn from your textbook. Truth in your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine or the stock market or an incredible job. Life is a series of problem-solving opportunities. Oh, wow. Wow. Not easy. Not easy. Paul was able to have a different perspective on his problems. Paul was able to look at his world through a different set of lenses, the joy lenses. You know, problems come to all of us. What we do with them and how we view them really is a determination of our own heart and soul. When we understand at times that God uses problems and challenges and circumstances in our life that are unfavorable, he, many times he uses them, I have the word correct here, but I would say also to inspect, to inspect and to correct, to inspect and correct. James says it like this in James chapter one. James says, for you know that when your faith is being tested, when your faith is being tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. See, God wants your faith muscle to grow. God wants your endurance muscle to grow. Every single one of us have an opportunity to quit, to give up, turn back, to look back, to go the other direction. To allow life's problems and our messes and mistakes to allow them to bring us to a place where we just want to quit. We want to give up on God. We want to give up on a preferred future. We're just going to live life. Live life very selfishly, generally. Just trying to make ourselves happy, but not choosing a life of joy, Jesus, others, and then you. No. There, there's a faith muscle that God wants to build in your life. It was 1985. I was 22 years of age. I, at my age of 22, I was making more money than anybody else I knew in my age group. I worked in the number one, number, number one restaurant in my city, but one of the top 10 restaurants in all of the United States of America. I was a waiter. I mean, I wore my tuxedo with pride. Last week, I told the story about me being tossing the clink, wearing my tuxedo. I was making uh, good money, and, and I didn't even go to college. I was, a, I was barely a high school graduate. Let me tell you, barely a high school graduate. I was making as much money as young college graduates going into engineering. And I remember, uh, I, I, I remember, yeah, I was in my house, and I had a two-bedroom apartment, and I had a king-size waterbed. I was living large, king size, baby. I was living large and in charge. And God said, I want you to go to Bible college. Oh, what do you got? Things are going so good. No, but I, I felt a stirring. I've got to go to Bible college. So I packed up my car, 
Went to Portland Bible College. Long story how I got there, but went to Portland Bible College. I get out of my car in Portland, and the first thing I smell is a smell. <laughs> the first thing I sense, the first thing I feel, the first emotion I have is this horrible smell that passes my nostrils. And it was bad. I was like, what is that smell? And you know what that smell was? It was from the pulp plants that were down on the Columbia ri River, some kind of odor. And everybody that lived there was just used to it because they lived in their own stink so long they didn't know any different. I grew up in the beautiful desert aroma smell. We didn't have no smell like that. It was bad smell. I went into the dorm room and the dorms were built in the 1920s and they were built as a military, uh, as a military training camp for young boys in high school. And I, I remember I went from this two-bedroom king-size waterbed to a dorm room that wasn't literally much bigger than this prison cell right here. And not only did, not only did I not have my king-size waterbed, it couldn't even fit in there, I had to share a double bunk with somebody else. Oh, I didn't even share a double bunk as a kid. I was an only boy. I had four sisters. I always got my own room. Oh, oh. I remember... I decided, I was double, oh, I'm going to be a good sacrifice. I'm going to be a good servant. I'm going to take the bottom bunk. So I, I get in that bottom bunk, and I mean literally within three minutes of climbing to that bunk, the whole bunk bed collapses on top of me. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, oh. I remember I'm putting it back together. I got it through. I felt like it was fairly secure. I said, I'm not going to get in that bottom bunk. I don't want to be the guy that's on top of me. I don't want to be that guy in the bottom when the guy on top of me falls through. I think I'm going to go ahead and get on the bottom bunk, on the top bunk. And so I waited for the next roommate to come. And anyway, it was a great challenge. The next two years, lots of challenges, lots of difficulties, lots of opportunities, and many moments where I wanted to quit because life was unfair. They didn't understand me. They just didn't understand me. They don't understand what I sacked. They don't understand what I was doing before I came here. This is too punitive. This is too difficult. There's too many rules. God, life's too hard. Many times God uses these kinds of tests in your life because there are going to be greater tests than me just having, sleeping in a bunk bed that fell through in my life. There'd be far greater tests that would come in my life as I grew in Christ. The second reason I see many times that trials come into our life is that God uses them to protect us. Psalms 138 verse 7, the Bible says, I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. God preserves your life. Think about the times that you were driving down the road and I mean, literally, like just 30 seconds in front of you, there was a horrific car accident, or a minute in front of you, or three minutes in front of you. In your mind, you thought, you know, I was going to leave my house a couple minutes earlier, but I got distracted. If you're like me, you forgot where you put your keys. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're two, three minutes behind, four minutes behind, but that two or three minutes behind was just the amount of time that protected you from that car accident. It happens. It doesn't always happen, but it does happen. There's been times you're very, very aware of God's protective hand in a circumstance or a situation. I remember uh, my high school girlfriend, and I thought I was in love. And oh, baby, I thought I was in love. I thought I was in love with her. And, and, uh, and she was a drama queen. That's all I'm going to tell you. She was a drama queen. Nice girl, but she was a drama queen. Nice Jewish girl. My grandmother wanted me to marry a Jewish girl. She was Jewish, nice Jewish girl, but she, a lot of drama around her life. And, and I remember I was on Facebook this week, and I saw her on Facebook. <laughs> and I said, thank you, Jesus, you protected me from that girl. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Whew. 
30, whatever that, how many ever years ago? I 81, I don't know how many years, that was a long time, 39 years. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you protected me. Finally, God uses challenges and trials of life to direct our, that was good, to direct our steps. <laughs> Amen. God used them to direct us. There's a great story in the book of Genesis I'm a guy by the name of Joseph, and you know the story, but what's always amazed me is how this guy, how this guy could carry a dream in his heart and his life, and he would never let that dream go. God gave him a dream. God gave him a vision of a perfect future as a young man, and he went through a lot of stuff. Brothers hated him, casting him into a pit. Come on, right? left him for dead. They actually wanted to murder, kill him. One brother got kind of a, a little bit of wit about him, said, I mean, that's not the best thing to do. And they sold him off to the Midianites. From the Midianites, he was sold off to Potiphar's house. And there in Potiphar's house, he would just be a worker. But because he had a right attitude and right perspective about his problems, about the circumstances of his life, he became the lead man, the, the lead worker on a chain gang in Potiphar's house. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was good looking. He was handsome. He was a smart guy. Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him. And he rejected it because of that. She accused him of rape. And again, he's thrown into a bad circumstance. He has the opportunity to have a bad attitude. He has opportunity to quit. He has opportunity to become bitter. God, I've worked so hard for you. God, I've done this. And God, and God, look at you allowed to happen. God, look at you. All these kinds of things. And Joseph never did that. He would go from Potiphar's house. He would find himself in prison because of this false accusation. And there in prison again, he had a right attitude. He never lost hold of the dream or the hope that God had placed inside of him. Never lost hope of a preferred future. And there he was in a prison in Pharaoh's house. And in that prison, in that prison Joseph would find himself in a position to prophesy, to interpret the dreams of a king. And because of that interpretation, he would become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Powerful. One day his brothers come back to him, and it's a long story. You can read it for yourself. But at the end of the story, these 11 brothers stand before Joseph. And I want you to hear what Joseph says. Brothers, you thought I was dead. You thought everything, you thought, uh, all these things, you, you thought, you discarded me. You thought, you got rid of your problem, the dreamer, the boy with the dream. But I want you to know today, what you intended to do to harm me, God intended for good in order to bring it about this day to save the lives of many. Do you not know today that your problems, the circumstances of life that you are walking through, God wants to use. God wants to use. And right now, you might not see it. You might not understand it. But God's placed a dream deep inside of you like Joseph. And God doesn't want you to lose hope of that dream. You see, the reason that Paul was able to have joy, because Paul had a greater perspective on life. God had a greater understanding of his mission and purpose in his life. And that was to live his life fully for Christ today. And because of that decision that Paul had made, Paul's perspective, Paul's understanding was completely different of those who were around him. You see, a prison door would close behind Paul, but another door would open for the advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's chains became his personal witness. 
Paul's chains became his personal witness. Look what he says in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm in chains for Christ. It's become clear to the whole world. The whole world knows that my chains, my life, this prison that I'm in is because I chose Christ. I chose to be a follower of Jesus. I chose to obey God's commands. I chose to share his word. I chose to tell other people about him. I chose to live out my purpose. I chose to make a difference. Because of that, I'm experiencing these problems. You know what I love about the scriptures? The scriptures are just, they they always make it plain. They tell the truth the way it is. Paul doesn't sugarcoat his problems. Doesn't sugarcoat why he's there. As a matter of fact, sometimes Paul, when he was telling other people about the situation he was in, he would say, you know what? These people cause this to me. The reason that I'm in prison in Rome is because when I was at Philippi and I was sharing Jesus' love, there was a girl, and she was all bond, she was all in bondage. As a matter of fact, the Bible says she was demon-possessed. She had evil spirits in her that gave her spiritual power to do fortune-telling, to, to read tarot cards, to do black magic, white magic. I don't care what kind of magic it is. I want you to know today, the Bible says stay away from it. Run from it. It's darkness. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't mess with it. Don't read your horoscope. What a joke. Don't you know today that Satan wants to entangle you, wants to ensnare you, wants to keep you in bondage today? He wants to take you into spiritual chains that you can never get free from. Paul because of the gospel, because the Christ that was in him began to share. And Jesus transformed this girl's life and her owners lost all their means of income. And they were ticked off. They were angry. And because of that, because of that ex- one girl's experience, Paul ends up in a prison cell in Rome 4,000 miles away. From Philippi, where he appeals to Caesar, he would go all the way to Rome. People did that. People did that. People cause Paul problems, and people will cause you problems in life. Uh, not only did Paul say at times people cause him problems in life, the devil caused him problems. The devil hates you today. He's like a roar. Peter says he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Oh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but Satan hates you and wants to destroy your life. He's a powerful foe. He's a, he's a formidable foe. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. You're no match for the enemy on your own strength. You're no match for the enemy of your own power and your own strength. And Paul knew that today. Jesus, Jesus, our Lord and Savior himself, was tempted, enticed by the enemy to do evil. He never succumbed. He never gave in. You're devil. He's a wily one. He has wily fiery darts that he wants to shoot against you. As a matter of fact, Paul would say that. Paul would say, I want to come to you, church, if that's going to go. But Satan has blocked my way. Satan wants to hinder the mission of Christ in this city. Satan wants to hinder the mission of God in your life. Satan wants to hinder the, the purposes of God in your family. Satan wants to destroy your marriage and destroy your kids. Satan wants to destroy your business and your fight. He hates you, folks. He has nothing good in store for you. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe it. Don't ever believe the lies of the enemy. His purpose and plan is always to do evil. But hear me today. 
God always has the final say. God always has the final say. Because as Christ followers today, we understand this truth. That greater, greater is he, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, that lives in us than he that it rules and reigns in this world. Come on, someone said amen today. Greater is he that is in us. The Spirit of Christ is in you today. The Spirit of Jesus is in you today. Paul was transformed because he had Christ living in him. Paul had a different way of looking and thinking about his problems. Sometimes Paul saw the problems of life just because he purely, he chose them. He chose problems. I know you can't believe that, but it is true. Do you know the moment you choose to take a stand for Christ in your workplace, it will cause problems with some people? You just, you got to know that. I, I've experienced it myself. I, mean, I, I had a man so angry at me, and he used to like to humiliate me in front of other people that I worked with because I was a Christ follower. Uh, listen, I hadn't always been a Christ follower at work, but when I became a Christ follower at work, this one guy just couldn't stand it, the change in my life. He couldn't stand what God was doing to me. And I remember, I remember one time, really, really, very specifically, we were in a circle with a group of guys, and you know, just hanging out before the restaurant would open that night, and and this guy, he looks over at me, he says, Eugene, you're telling me, there was a Jewish guy standing next to me, he said, Eugene, you're telling me this Jewish guy standing next to you is going to go to hell because he doesn't believe in Jesus? Like, there you go, how do you like that one? How do you handle that one? Taking a stand for Christ. You know, there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to heaven, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that. What do you do in those moments? What do you do in those moments when it's uncomfortable to be a witness for Christ in your family? Oh, come on, you know. You can talk about anything in your home. You can talk about any kind of spiritual nonsense and gobbledygook. You can talk about any kind of political. I know you might cause some conflicts talking about politics, but you can talk about all kinds of things today. You know, all kinds of world religions. You can talk about all kinds of things. But the moment you say Jesus, boom. No, you can't do that here. Separation church state. Come on. Come on. Why? Because there is no other way. There is no other name given under heaven by which your life and my life and this whole world can be saved, changed, transformed, experience the joy of God. Paul knew it. Paul knew that his decision to follow Christ would cost him. You see, it looked like a mess to other people. But for Paul, it became the source of the message of the story that he would tell. Paul was all in. Look what he says here in verse number 13. I am in chains for Christ. I am in chains for Christ. Chains for Christ. It was a choice, a determination of his life to live all in for God. These chains became a physical metaphor of a spiritual reality that they were a powerful weapon against the force of the enemy. They were a powerful weapon that God would use to propel the message of hope in Paul's generation. Look at verse number 14 here. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters became confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel, the good news, without fear. If you notice how God uses the most absurd things many times as weapons, weapons against his enemy. 
Uh, ever notice how God will use these very strange things and uh, pe- physical things in people's lives to be weapons and messages, examples of his grace? What about Moses, right? Standing there with a rod, with a rod. What are you doing with a rod? Hey, Moses, we got the Egyptians coming down on us. We got a Red Sea. We better figure out another rod. We better figure out another route. What's that little rod going to do, Moses? Come on. Come on, think about it. I mean, if you were there, you'd be in the back. Oh, my goodness, what is he doing with lifting up a rod? We got to see it. We got to get around that somewhere. We got to figure out. We got to turn around and fight. We got to do something. Nah, Moses says, you know what? I'm going to lift up this rod. <laughs> and the God that delivered me from the hand of Pharaoh is the God that's going to cause his waters to part. Come on. And he lifted up that rod, and the waters parted. And let me tell you, folks, it wasn't muddy ground. It wasn't, it wasn't boggy ground. It wasn't marshy ground. The children of Israel, two million of them, walked across dry land. Come on. Dry land through the Red Sea. <laughs> and for a lot, of, a lot of Egyptian soldiers, that was their last meal. <laughs> That was our last moment. Boom. Because when the Israelites got through, God closed up the waters. God used a, a, a rod to bring victory. I, I think of a, this guy who's a prophet. His name Balaam. God used a donkey to get his attention, to wake him up to what God desired to do. God desired to bless his people. I think of David, shepherd boy. Love God, worship God, wrote songs. We have all these psalms. I've been reading the psalms personally, personally in my own devotion because I've had to make some choices. I've had the potential over the last couple weeks to have some very dark moments. i can be really honest here, a lot of tension. I can feel it building at times. The reports and all these kinds of things we're walking through personally and our family and our home. And I've had to make a choice. And so I get into the Word. I just read the word. I just read the word. I, I mean, worship's good. And I love worship songs, but I got to tell you, there's something about reading the Psalms and just begin to pray the Psalms that just begin to transform my attitude and my perspective. <laughs> Little shepherd boy, one sling. He only took, he'd had five, but he only needed one. Come on, strange weapon. This weapon that Paul had would physically look like chains, but for Paul, <laughs> they were a weapon of advancement. They were a weapon for advancement because this is what it did. This is what it, did. it encouraged the other believers. Man, if Paul can do that, listen, we're not in prison. We can share our faith with other people. If Paul can be all in, if Paul can give it all for Christ, and Paul can continue to share his faith with Roman guards, and they're getting saved, and Caesar's hearing about the gospel, and man, it's just begin to shake the whole Roman culture. And let me tell you, it was shaking the Roman culture. The gospel was shaking Rome. It's a historical fact. Christianity was birthed out of that city. I mean, it started in Jerusalem, but it's in Rome where it really caught fire. I mean, it's in Rome, man, where people were really encountering Christ and the gospel. Paul went to that city because it was the biggest city. It was the New York City of its day. It was the Washington, D.C. of its day. And Paul's preaching. And God used this method of a chain to an order of man to preach the gospel. You know what I've discovered about God? that God's ways are not my ways. They're just not. And God will use some really tough circumstances in your life. And if you don't understand them, you don't understand them, you'll get bitter and you'll get in pain and you'll get hurt and you'll self, you know, whatever, medicate and all the things that we do. Or begin to understand that God's using that in your life because there's a message. Uh, it's an unusual method that God uses to get the message out. Because you got to remember this, God's ways are higher than my ways. 
And God's thoughts are way different than my thoughts. I heard a statistic this last week. It said, we, th- we think 50,000 thoughts a day and 40,000 are about food. And then he said, the next 10,000 are about sex. And I'm just, you know, I mean, we have, as humans, we have lots of thoughts. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God would use this message messenger to champion the cause of Christ, to encourage other people, to give them a boldness, to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know what fear stands for? False evidence that appears real. And we got a lot of fear right now. I mean, we got a lot of fear. You can't even turn on the news for two seconds to think that the whole world is coming to an end. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, come on. It ain't the end yet, folks. It ain't the end yet. God still has a mission. God still has a plan for you and for his church to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ. And my Bible tells me that the church overcomes, that the church is victorious, that the church is more than conquerors. Come on. He's coming back for a glorious church. We're not people motivated by fear today to share our faith. We're motivated by faith because we know the power of transformation. Oh, God wants to use us, folks, as messengers of this city, as a hope for this city. There's a hope for your family. There are words of Christ that you can speak. You see, when you choose joy, when you choose to live a life of joy in spite of all the stuff of your life, all the problems of your life, the circumstances of your life, other people will notice. They'll notice. They will absolutely take notice. You know, it's not you that does that. It's not you, but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He enables you to worship Jesus. He enables you to serve other people. He enables you to give your life down. I, I got I to gotta tell you today, this church is here and partially in part. Lots of reasons, lots of people, lots of involvement. But I did make a decision. I made a decision in the midst of one of the darkest times of my life, one of the darkest times of my family's life. Our mother was the glue. Our mother, my mom, I had four sisters. My mom was just a godly woman. And I was with the pastor this last week. And uh, he was over in the panhandle, and he was the youth pastor of my mom's church. And he was introducing me to all these other pastors. He said, man, he goes, Eugene's mom was the greatest soul winner that I'd ever personally met. My mom, I mean, the church bought her a van, and she filled up a, first she filled up a Dodge pickup truck. I mean, I can't, can't even believe these things happen, but she had these little metal chairs, because we were poor. She had little metal, she put them in the back of the Dodge pickup truck, and we'd pick up all the neighborhood kids. I know that's completely illegal today, you get arrested, but back then, nobody seemed to care. <laughs> yeah, throw a few kids back there, you know? I mean, I mean, parents are, oh my God, what are they doing? I'm a kid. I told them in the back of the big 1963 Dodge pickup truck. The front half was silver and the back half was blue. That was a beautiful truck. Because <laughs> it was a spray, spray paint job. Man, she filled that truck up. And my dad finally let her use the car. She trashed the car out because she picked up all the neighborhood kids for church. So the church bought her van. She filled up that van. She filled up another van. Folks, she did this for over 20 years. She knocked on doors in her community. She invited children to come to church. Families, come on. I'm not, I mean, she was just an amazing woman. Satan opposes that. You know that, right? Satan opposed that life. And she died, to my judgment, prematurely. I I don't know if it was premature in God's economy, but my perspective, it was premature. I remember right after her funeral in 1995, it was December, I was just really going through the motions. And, and I had never experienced death like that. The, the emotion of it was very, very strong. And 
And my sister, I had a young sister, she was 16 at home and she was very hurt. And bitterness was starting to build in her heart towards God and my father and his life. And it's hard for a young person to understand why a parent dies like this is hard for him. And we had prayed and we'd fasted in this mighty woman of God and everyone had prayed for her and it just didn't work out the way we'd hoped and thought. And I remember as I stood in my kitchen in my parents' house, and I said, devil, you meant this for evil, but God means this for good so that many can be saved. And I, in that moment, I said, God, I'm all in. I've been feeling the Lord speaking to my heart to start a church again. And my wife and I had been involved in starting a church in the late 1980s in the inner city of Seattle. But I had a good position now. My wife had a great job. We were making, we were, we were making money. We were living the mission. We were fruitful and effective in ministry. We were in a large church. Things were going well. And I remember inside my spirit saying, God, for you, many souls are going to be saved. I made a decision. I had no idea that on March 1st, 2020, Sanford, whatever this can be, Seminole County, Lake Mary, Heathrow, whatever this neighborhood is here, I would be standing before you with a dream that God had put in my heart a long time ago to bring his love to the city. Satan means it for evil in your life, but God means it for good so that many can be saved. When you bow your heads, what are you going to do with this today? You got a choice to make. You got a choice to make. We all got a choice to make. Not easy choice. I'm never, never easy. The will of God is seldom easy. The will of God is always good. Because the moment you really begin to understand life's not about, about you, but it's about Christ and fulfilling his mission, is the moment you will begin to live out your purpose, your purpose and your meaning for this life. You're here today. I said a lot of words, man, a lot of things. But something inside of you is stirring. You might be far from God. I, I, I went to a church service far from God one time, and I remember leaving feeling really just confused inside and hurt and not really, not couldn't, not wasn't all there and didn't understand and blaming God for stuff in my life. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you come here today and you're far from him. And you know what he says to you? I did it for you. I love you. I love you. Paul's chains were for a greater purpose. And you're problems and the prisons of your mind and of your heart. God wants to turn those and he wants to he wants to break those chains but he wants to use them because he wants to use you to fulfill the reason for what you were created. You're here today you know what you say, Pastor I'm far from God and I know I'm not right with him but today I'm choosing to see my life, my circumstances through a different perspective see them through the lens of Jesus. And I want to give my heart to him today. If that's you right now in this room, in a count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, right now in this room. Anyone in this room? Come on. All across this room. Come on. All across this room. Hands up. Believer today, it's simply, this is the call. All in. All in. Problems, circumstances. Every day. Every moment. Every, listen, guys, this isn't a one-time thing. I've had to walk through this multiple times over the last couple of weeks. I got to choose joy. I got to choose to focus on Jesus. I got to choose to stand before you on Sunday morning and share God's love. I got to choose today. I got to choose to speak life over my circumstance and over the situations that I'm walking through.
God so blessed you. I challenge you today. Choose joy. Choose Jesus. Choose to give your life and your attitudes completely to Him. If that's you today, you mean that with all of your heart. You're 100% in. We just stand with you right where you're at. Come on. You're all in today. I want you to just stand right where you're at. You're all in giving your life to Him today. Just stand. Come on. All across this room. You're all, all across this room. You're giving it to Jesus. Come on. You're giving it to Jesus right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, the enemy meant it for evil. God use it for good. Mm, Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God, come. Take your hands wherever you're at. Just look, you mean it till you stood, you mean it till you're all in. Just lift up your hands to him today. Say, Lord, I surrender. Mm. Come on, right now in this room, you're surrendering. You're giving it to him. You're given that problem. You're given that circumstance. You're given that challenge. You're given that news report. Come on, we're giving it to him today. We're giving that doctor's report. We're giving it to him. We're that relationship, that child. Jesus, I choose to worship you. Lord, I choose to allow you to advance the message of hope in my generation. I choose you, Lord. I choose you. 100%. I give it all to you. Father, you see every hand that's lifted towards you. Oh, come on. Just begin to pray wherever you're at. Begin to pray. Begin to just surrender in your own heart, in your own words, in your own own vocabulary. Begin to surrender to the Lord right where you're at in this room. Come on. Hands lifted towards the Lord. God, we surrender to you. Every attitude, every thought. God, today I pray. I pray for every person here today that you would fill. You would transform would allow you would allow these prison chains that the enemy would try to bring into our life god you would allow them to be used to advance the message of hope in our generation god use me today god use me today use us today use this church today jesus in your name come on let's worship the lord right now